Well, how are we doing? Yeah, I hear that. All right. Well, we're, uh, we're upright this morning, and we're here with the cause of worshiping our Lord and uh, thankful for, for Madeline and for Earl and the team there for helping us to get pointed in that direction. And, um, you know, this morning we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 21, and uh, we're going to get into some... Um, some interesting territory, uh, just biblically here, as we uh, uh, make the turn out of the Ten Commandments, uh, because we're, what we're going to kind of move into now is uh, some territory in Scripture that can be somewhat challenging in terms of understanding, interpreting, and, uh, and even applying into our own lives. And uh, it's, it actually ends up challenging sometimes uh, even our own perspective of what we thought was in the Scriptures and uh, can cause us to really wrestle with some things before the Lord. So I think it's going to be some good territory, but admittedly it's a little bit challenging to teach through as well. So especially with a limited time frame. And um, so I'm going to do my best. And uh, if... If you have interest in uh, digging further into some of these things, I'll be happy to, to help point you in that direction. So, um, so my apologies at the outset here. Some of the things that we're going to dive into over the next several weeks uh, are admittedly going to not be exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. And so uh, my intent is not necessarily to answer all of our questions, but rather to digest what what are the, the especially overarching uh, and timeless principles from God's Word that, that we um, should take away from God's Word and work to understand and apply in the context of our own life? Um, because there is, a, uh, there is a, a gap, a contextual gap between where we are today in the context that we live in terms of our, our time in history, uh, our culture, um, just the way we function as a society, and uh, and where um, where uh, people were here in Exodus in their history and culture and societal norms, and so uh, we need to make sure that we do understand that that when we read through Scripture, uh, especially in the Old Testament, but it's also true in the New Testament that we need to be very careful about reading through and just taking stuff out and plugging it into the context of our life without first doing the work to understand what things are contextualized for, where they live in their time and space, and perhaps get left in that time and space, but the timeless things get are, are, that, that transcend culture, that transcend historical context, that transcend uh, societies, those things get brought into our modern context and applied into our lives. So, um, so keep that in mind as we begin to work our way through this part of Exodus. There are three things I would like you to keep in mind here that are difficulties in, in inter- interpreting um, some of these portions of the Old Testament, including where we're getting ready to dive into. Uh, one that I mentioned there is the historical, cultural historical context. The, uh, there are differences between 
um, the Israelites here in Exodus, and uh, us, where we're living right here in Harrison right now today. Um, the second thing is that there's a, a blend of timeless principles and laws and temporal uh, laws. And in other words, um, there are timeless truths. We just went through the Ten Commandments. These are timeless things that get applied throughout generations, but there are specific uh, laws and boundaries that are, go- that are going to be established here throughout Exodus that actually speak into the specific context that people lived in. So those timeless principles are being applied in their context, um, and there's a context in which we apply those timeless principles and truths, but they may look a little bit different, or a lot different. Um, so keep that in mind. The third thing is, especially here in Exodus chapter 21, where we're going to touch on uh, boundaries and, and uh, guidelines as it relates to masters and slaves, is that one of our challenges in understanding um, what's going on here in Exodus is that we tend to view, um, when we read Exodus 21 and we, we read here about when you buy a Hebrew slave, the context that we have for understanding that largely comes from our own context of U.S. history and slavery in the United States. And while there may be some similarities, there are also vast differences. So we need to be careful not to just take what we understand about our own history in our nation and and throw it into the context of Scripture. So I'll try to highlight some of those things as we go along. We're not going to do a deep dive on it, but just keep those things in mind that what we want to do is understand what's going on in Scripture and as much as possible, clear the path of, uh, of whatever baggage we might bring into it uh, that the Lord can speak to us what He has to say. So let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer here and then we're going to, to begin to work our way through. Father, as we come to Your Word, we're so thankful for Your Word that leads us, uh, Lord, into into the path of righteousness that leads us to salvation, that leads us to our, the hope of heaven through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we ask that You would teach us this morning through Your Scriptures that, Holy Spirit, You would lead us into all truth, that You would interpret Your Word for us, that You would help us to hear um, those, those things that we need to hear today, each one of us, wherever we sit, even in our our own individual context, whatever life has thrown at us and whatever things we may be living through right now, um, that, Lord, You would help us to understand how to take these truths from Your Word and to, to understand them, to live them out and, and uh, walk in Your ways, to keep in step with You. So we pray that You would help us this morning and, um, Lord, just help us to walk in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So before we, uh, we're going to cover a fairly wide swath here, and there's a reason for it. Um, we slowed way down as we worked our way through the Ten Commandments and really kind of almost went verse by verse, certainly went command by command. Um, now we're going to cover some larger swaths, and the reason is uh, because what we're going to look at is there are some, some uh, themes uh, or principles that um, kind of uh, covers these, these passages. So the verses we're going to be in this morning actually speak largely to 
the value and dignity that God has given to humanity. And so that affects, because God has given value and dignity to mankind, that affects the way we are to treat one another. Now, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more in, in a moment, but just to sort of lay a little bit more foundation under us before we go into Exodus chapter 21, I want you to turn to the left of Exodus into Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of God's Word. Genesis 1.26 So God uh, creates, and then the pinnacle of His creation is right here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the pinnacle of God's creation, after He creates uh, the, the, the heavens and the seas and the land and all the animals and the plants, God creates mankind in His image and essentially says, at least in a way where we can kind of understand what's going on here, God says, you are my likeness, my representation to my created world. You bear the likeness of my glory to my creation. In other words, we we don't in and of ourselves carry a glory with us that we intrinsically possess, but as R.C. Sproul says, we don't possess intrinsic uh, value, we possess extrinsic value, meaning that God has placed value on us. We don't just by our nature show up going, here we are, we're valuable and glorious but rather that God has created us in His image and by virtue of that has placed His value, which is an ultimate value, on every single one of us. So when I say extrinsic value, make sure you don't um, misunderstand me that we're speaking of like our value coming from the stuff we do or the stuff we possess, but rather that God says, hey, you have been created in my image And by virtue of that, He has imparted to us value and glory because we're in His likeness. And we are the ones whom He has placed here, it says, in dominion over the earth because we we are the image bearers among His creation. We are, as the New Testament says, His ambassadors here. And so, we, um, that is one of the foundational truths we must understand as we begin to go into Exodus 21, is that humanity, you, me, every, every man, woman, and child has been created in the image of God, regardless of how they come into this world, regardless of, of where they're born, uh, or what part of society they tend to find themselves in, or what kind of occupation Uh, whether or not uh, they're considered among the most intelligent or the least, it does not matter. They have value because they have been created in the image of God. So that is is a foundational truth 
that is reiterated throughout Scripture and is reiterated through Exodus 21. Now there's, there's one more thing that to, for us to keep in mind, and that is as we work our way through Scripture, there is a progressive revelation, meaning that, that in the beginning here, God creates the heavens and the earth and something may be known about Him right away. Um, Romans chapter 1 talks about how there is a general revelation of God that is available to all of humanity. That is that God has created the heavens, God has created the earth, God has created us in His image, and we may understand at least something about Him by virtue of just witnessing that. We can, we can have some understanding of Him by virtue of even, even ourselves that we have this this thing inside of us that even starts to guide us in terms of what's right and what's wrong. Now, it's not, a perfect, it's not perfect within us, but it gives us a clue that we have a Creator. There is right. There is wrong. There is a judgment. But as we work our way through Scripture, God progressively reveals more of Himself. We think of when He meets Abraham and introduces Himself to Abraham. And, and as we continue on until we have this glorious announcement in Luke's Gospel that Messiah has come, born of a virgin. That salvation has come to all peoples. And so in that progressive revelation, one of the things that we have the benefit of understanding and can now read, uh, understand Exodus chapter 21 in a larger context than even the Israelites would have understood it. And that is, when we think about um, God's ultimate vision for where He is leading us, where He is leading humanity, is to save us by His grace through Christ His Son that all people would be free under the Lordship of Christ. That all people are equal and free under the Lordship of Christ. Now, this message does resonate with us because we recognize this sounds a lot like how our nation was founded. Now, albeit there have been a lot of imperfect ways that uh, we, have, we have dealt with one another throughout our history, but the one thing that is at the core of the founding of our nation is that all people are created in the image of God and by virtue of that ought to have equal opportunity and freedom. Uh, and so... We, we recognize this foundational truth. Now, that's not the case with all peoples everywhere. Um, but certainly, it is a biblical principle. And here's how we see it play out um, in terms of the Gospel. If we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, if you'd turn there with me real quick. If, you can, if you can, your fingers can walk back there quickly into the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, I apologize, I don't have them up here real quick for you this morning. Colossians 3 verse 9. Paul writes to believers in Colossae, and he says this, do not, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and, you, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. 
but Christ is all and in all. So now, so he makes the point that, look, there's, when we come to the cross, when we come into the family of God, we come on equal footing. Sinners saved by the grace of God. So now look, he's speaking now to people in, in, in all, uh, all places of society here. So within a, a, the context of believers, within, within the church here in Colossae, the, the gathering of believers, there are people serving and working at different places within society. So now look how Paul speaks to them all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You know what we don't see? We don't see, Jesus, we don't see Paul saying, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying, those of you who are successful in society, considered successful, and uh, you know, those of you who are successful business owners or successful politicians or whatever the case may be, you guys are going to be the ones to lead the church. No, he speaks to everyone. He says, he says whether uh, there's no difference, Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, whatever your role is within society, your role within the church is to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You're to live out the life of the church as equals before the God who saved you. So however God has gifted you, that's how you serve. If you're a slave in society and yet God has gifted you as a teacher within His body, then you teach. So there's no difference. We come to the cross, sinners saved by grace, and valued by the One who created us. We see something similar in Philemon. We won't turn there, but Philemon uh, is about, uh, there's a, a slave who's run away from his master, ends up uh, meeting up with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul knows who his master is. The Apostle Paul shares the Gospel with Onesimus, who's the slave that's run away. Onesimus uh, repents, uh, is baptized as a follower of Christ, becomes a brother now in Christ, to both Paul and Paul's friend, who is Onesimus' master. Then Paul writes a letter and sends Onesimus back to his master, writes a letter and says, Hey, uh, Philemon, I want you to receive Onesimus now as a brother in Christ. So he recognizes that Onesimus did have a, a wrong in, in, in kind of how he was doing things, and there is a sort of social uh, relationship between Philemon and, and Onesimus, but Paul says there is a greater relationship now in Christ. And he pleads with Philemon to honor him now as a brother in Christ. God is leading us all to a place where we worship together on equal footing before him as sinners saved by him. So now in that context, that's the foundation. Now let's, uh, we're going to have to move pretty quickly. 
But let's look at Exodus chapter 21. So now we're on the heels of the Ten Commandments, and this is where there's going to now be some more specific boundaries set up in that, that help the Israelites understand what does it look like when we live out the Ten Commandments? What does it look like in their context as they live it out? So one thing to keep in mind is that we are talking about um, this pa- these passages here that we're going to work our way through. They establish boundaries and limits um, rather than establishing allowances and permission. That, do you see the difference between that? So, um, so I, was, I, I was trying to think of maybe a modern context that we might be able to re- relate this to. And um, one of the things that is not, uh, not illegal in our, in our context, sexual immorality by and large is not illegal, but our, our society recognizes there has to be boundaries, Right? There are certain types of sexual immorality that are illegal. Does that make sense? Now, biblically speaking, it's, it's all out of bounds, right? We've already covered that. But even, even in, a, in a non-Christ-oriented culture, we, we recognize there have to be boundaries to things. So these aren't setting up permissions for sexual immorality. It's rather setting up limitations. You can't go there. Right? God has already laid out for us in the Ten Commandments where the path of blessing lies, but, but these here in Exodus chapter 21 are rather to be viewed as limitations, boundaries for the protections of mankind rather than allowances for, hey, yeah, you can do this. Now that's permissible. There's, so maybe it's a little bit of a paradigm shift there, but just understanding that that is what Exodus 21 is speaking into. All right, so Exodus 21 verse 1. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free. So there were, there were uh, agreed-upon relationships here when it, uh, I think the NIV translates this servant or bond servant or something like that. Uh, many translations uh, say slave. And so the relationship here, there was permission for, there was a, a way for very, very impoverished people uh, or indebted people to find a way of existing uh, outside of that extreme poverty by essentially becoming indentured servants. So there was a willful relationship where one might say, because of my indebtedness to you, or because I am so impoverished, and I at least would like to have uh, something to eat and a place to sleep, that, that one might indenture themselves to another uh, as a servant. Now there was, it says for six years, um, because there was, a, on the seventh year, there was, uh, there was to be a setting free of, of this person from that relationship, from that, from that bound um, service. So, um, so the, in other words, what we're seeing here is a protection being established for those who would find themselves in a place of being an indentured servant, so that masters don't just like totally rule their lives, but there is a system of ways to protect for the value and dignity of these people. So if he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. 
If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children must, shall be her masters and he shall go out to, alone. So there is a recognition here. Now this, this is difficult for us to, to really wrap our minds around because we don't live in a context like this, do we? I mean, this is really foreign stuff for us and we're trying to understand it through the prism of, that we live in right now. And it, it is admittedly difficult uh, it's, a, it's difficult for me, all right? So it's difficult for all of us to, to, to really go through this and really we're not going to be able to fully understand what's going on here because we can't fully be in the context here and catch the nuances of the society that they're living in. But one of the things that is being shown here is that there is to be protection for the one who becomes an indentured servant. If they have a wife when they become an indentured servant or a family, then they, they get to keep that family that they had before they became an indentured servant. There's a protection there for that. There's also a recognition that the one who they've indentured themselves to does, does have... Uh, it's a two-way relationship here. So there, there's the servant who's made the commitment. There's also the master who has accepted their portion of this relationship and, in it, and that part needs to be honored as well. And so there's an acknowledgement here, though it's difficult for us to comprehend, when he says, if the master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out alone. It's an acknowledgement that the master has, has a rightful claim in, to, in this relationship as well. Verse 5, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. So there is a way again provided for this man to be with his wife and children whom he came to know in the master's service. Verse 7, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, again, we're going, what? What man would sell his daughter as a slave? Well, again, remember, this is a very different cultural context that we're speaking into. This kind of stuff happens today around the world still. When, uh, especially in a context where a, a, a man might have a family that lives in such poverty that, that his daughters may not be very desirable in the eyes of, of those who are seeking a wife. Now we might look at this and say this is wrong, but the reality is this is just what is. And, and in terms of Exodus here, this is what is. And that is a good thing to keep in mind as we read through some of these challenging passages is Scripture, because it speaks about something, is not necessarily condoning it. All right? So what is going on here, though, is that we have uh, a, a man who has a daughter who if she does not, if she is not married, she is going to be very vulnerable um, in society. She is going to be very vulnerable. And so what a man in this context might have done is to um, work a relationship with another man who would take her as maybe an additional wife and she would at least be provided for. Right? Now, again, there's so many things about this that we don't like, right? <laughs> that we're uncomfortable with. I'm just telling you what is. 
So look, but look here, because what is being provided for is protection for this young lady. So when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall go out as the she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. In other words, if he doesn't fulfill his obligation that he's agreed to, then, then she gets to go free, no longer bound to him. So what we read in here is not a permission for here, you can treat women horribly, but rather this actually says, hey, wait a minute, you can't just treat a woman any way you want to. Now to us, we go, whoa, man, if I treated my wife like this, like, there'd be really bad news, right? And for good reason, okay? But this is into a specific context. Verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. So again, we hear um, the value of human life. So murder here is to be paid for. Um, it says here that whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But there's also the recognition that there may be occasion where uh, one person strikes another without intent of killing, but then does kill him. Or through, through a, no, no intent of another, one person dies at their hand or at their cost. And so there's a provision made for that where um, this person can have their life protected until it can be brought before a court and figured out what to do. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So there's this, there, there is... There's this recognition already in the family of God that it's, everything is not so black and white. That when we say do not murder, we recognize that, that there are occasions where um, maybe out of anger one strikes another and not, not with intent to kill, but does. Or, or maybe through an accident one dies. Or maybe through negligence one dies. And we'll kind of keep working towards that. So how, how were they to deal with some of these things as these arose within? And so there was a re recognition that, that all these are not quite the same in terms of how maybe they should be dealt with. Uh, whoever strikes, uh, there is one thing that keeps com coming up and throughout the Scriptures, and it hits on the verse 15 and 17, whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. And then verse 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. There is this continued strengthening of an honor towards parents because God has laid this to be a foundational relationship throughout society. And when this relationship breaks down, when there is no honor of parents, all of society begins to crumble from the bottom up. Catching verse uh, 16 in there, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. In other words, 
you can't kidnap somebody and throw them into slavery. Right? Um, verse 18, when men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and, with, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. There's an interesting thing being introduced here, or, or at least reiterated, and we're going to see that more as we continue on through Exodus, and that is not only the value placed on human life, but also personal responsibility. That uh, if, if two guys get in a fight here, and one of them does damage to the other, then, so that uh, there's loss of work and that sort of thing, that that there's a responsibility to, uh, to cover for that. There's a personal responsibility. Whether, whether you are in your right mind or not in your right mind, your actions you are to be responsible for. Verse 20, when a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under the hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, uh, for the slave is his money. So again, there's, there, there, there's one way to read this where we go, oh, well, a slave doesn't have value. That's not really the right way to read this. Again, what we're going to find is that humanity, regardless of whatever part of society they, they possess, are going to be dealt with as human beings, as having value created by God. But here, there's a recognition that, that when, um, when a man has a servant and that servant is killed, that there is a loss to the master who has this relationship with this bondservant. So there is, there is a looking out not only for, for, um, for the person who's, who's killed or, or the person who's injured, but also for this relationship of master and servant. And this is more than just an employee-employer kind of relationship. It's much more bi- binding than that, much more involved than that, and yet short of being what we would think of as slavery in terms of what, how we've known it in our culture. Verse 22, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her chi- children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So there's the recognition that the value of human life is even existent in the womb, and we see that reiterated through Scripture as well. Um, there's also the idea that, that punishment should, be, should fit the crime. Right? So there's, um, in, in one sense, there's a, a, a way in which we see a type of vengeance in life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but there's also a limitation placed on punishment. That is, uh, if someone takes out your eye, you can't just take their life. Right? That, that the, the punishment and the crime ought to be a, a fit they ought to be in measure with one another. So justice is not a free-for-all. Verse 26, When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, 
he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Again, what we have here is a protection that a master cannot just rough up his servants just because he's a bad guy or gal. That there's a protection that these people would be treated as human beings. Verse 28, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned. Now this introduces something kind of interesting. The ox shall be stoned. In other words, the ox is to receive a punishment like that of a human being. Why is that? It's certainly not a way of of God saying this ox has value like a human being. It is rather saying the ox has taken the life of one created in the image of God and, and even the ox is held responsible for the taking of human life. That is how valuable we are in God's sight that even even the livestock will pay for the taking of the life of those created in the image of God. So when this ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten because it's unclean. It's taken the life of a human being. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. And Before you go, wait a minute. Let's keep reading on here. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. Okay, so thou shalt not murder even gets applied in cases of negligence. That is, when, when in this case, I've got, a, I've got an ox that's in the habit of goring people. I know about it. I've been warned about it. And I really haven't done anything to stop him from doing it again. I'm guilty of murder. Now there's a, a verse 30. Again, though, one of the, thing, one of the things that we uh, are, are good to remember here is that we lay out laws in our land on technicalities, Right? And if it doesn't fit within those technicalities, then uh, the certain laws can't be applied. Here, we're not talking about technicalities. We're talking about principles again. So that even these things mentioned here with speak towards more specific scenarios than the Ten Commandments are to be more broadly applied rather than technically applied. So here, while, the, while this ox, um, the, there's an owner who's been warned there are still a large, infinite number of, of, of situations and circumstances that, that here an ox might gore a person. And so there's an effort here to, to protect both the ones who could be gored, to give justice for the one who was gored, and also uh, to protect from the owner being unjustly punished. So there's kind of all those things being incorporated here. Verse 30 says, If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. That is, if a family, if a family of a person who was killed by this man's ox, uh, there's an acceptable uh, ransom for that. Um, it, maybe, they, maybe they view that maybe this, this, uh, this oxen's owner was... was had made some effort, but not enough, or whatever the situation could have been, then there was a way for this man's life to be ransomed 
Verse 31, if it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. Now, um, kids, you should be thankful for uh, this, this kind of a law because essentially what's happened here, remember eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? You kill my son, though. See how that goes? Um, if I, if, or if I kill your son, then you kill my son. That could be applied here. However, there's an arrangement here where it says if a man... Or if it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. In other words, it's the man who's going to pay for that, not his kids, for his negligence. There's a protection here for the children. If the ox gores slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Now there's a lot, of, a lot of details here as we go through here and a lot of stuff that we go, man, that is kind of hard for me to grasp here, what's going on and how this stuff is going on. There is a cultural context here that we don't live in, but there are biblical principles that are applied both here and now. The overarching principle is that God created mankind in His image. And God establishes protections so that people can't just deal with each other however they see fit but rather that they deal with one another based on the value and dignity that God has placed on every single person, no matter what their role is in society. And this is especially true when it comes to the worship of God and the salvation of mankind. Psalm 117, it's a very short psalm, but here's what Psalm 117 says. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol Him, all peoples. For great is His steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. God has created all peoples, and God has brought salvation to all peoples. God's promise of eternal life is for all peoples, no matter where they are in society, no matter what their role is, no matter where they're born, no matter what language they speak. In fact, when we gather around the throne of God for eternity, we will join with voices that speak other languages. We will join with people that have grown up with different customs. We will grow up with, or we will, we will join together with people from everywhere who acknowledge the glory and splendor of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Who is it that God desires will turn to Him in repentance and faith? Everyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, that those who believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Salvation is for all people. And as we go through the Scriptures, even though it's difficult for us to comprehend what's going on in Exodus 21 and difficult for us to understand these relationships between uh, men and women and slave and free, one of the things that we see echoed over and over again is that 
All have been created in the image of God, and salvation is for all people who trust in Him. And this impacts the way we live because all of a sudden we realize the more we, we grasp this, the more we realize uh, these people that I vehemently disagree with on X, Y, or Z, they are people created in the image of God whom Christ came and gave his life for. These people who perhaps have even done harm to me. Gee, what does Jesus say? He says, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies because they are created in the image of God and Christ has come and give his life for them also. We are all sinners who need the forgiveness of God through Christ Jesus who gave himself at the cross. And every single person who turns to him and says, God, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. Give me the new life that you came to give will be accepted by him no matter where they start from. Consider the Apostle Paul said, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the sinner of sinners. He oversaw the persecution and the killing of other Christians. And yet God got his attention. Paul repented and trusted in Christ. And now Paul has become one of the greatest spokesmen, ambassadors for Christ that ever lived. There's a lot of injustice, a lot of devaluing, and a lot of remo- the robbing of dignity of humanity around the world. Let us as followers of Christ not be among that, but let us be among those who recognize the value that God has placed on every single one of us, and let us be among those who become God's ambassadors to those people, especially those who are most vulnerable. Fathers, we... we go through your word, and we wrestle with some of these challenging texts. But we are so thankful that one of the things that we see is that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as messed up as humanity gets, Lord, you continue to be Lord of all. God, that you, even uh, in the early days there, were teaching your people about how valuable they, they were and how they ought to treat one another in light of the image of God that they had all been given. Lord, help us, to, help us to really be diligent to treat one another with, with the dignity and respect of, of having been created in the image of God and with the desire to bring everyone into the kingdom of God for you gave your life for everyone. So Lord, may you be glorified through us, and especially on that day when every tongue and tribe and peoples gather around your throne to worship you and say, glory, 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 holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, the Lamb who was slain for us, May you receive all glory and honor and praise. And may we reflect you to to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
please stand with me, church, as we close in song? <clears throat> Excuse me. James, um, he's notorious for saying, faith without works is dead. Here's what James says. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, if we have a pure walk with God, if we're really in tune with the heart of God and keeping in step with God, we are going to be defenders of life. We are going to be defenders of the vulnerable. We are going to be the ones who step in the gap and serve the unserved. That is who we are at the heart of who we are because Christ came and served us and laid down his life for us and we now walk in his steps. And for those of you who perhaps maybe have not become a follower of Christ, in his words, no matter where you came from, no matter how, what you were born into, he came to save you. He gave himself on the cross for your sins to give you freedom and life in him. So let us walk in step with him. Let's be defenders and protectors of life and to give people the ultimate gift that he's given us to give, and that is salvation through him. Lord, bless and keep you.